0: I shall read from the King James Version of the Holy Bible. The topic is Wholeness, Genesis. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was forty years old when he took Rebekah to wife. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, Behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all over like an hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau, because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day, and he sware unto him. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink, and rose up, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And it came to pass, that when Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son, and said unto him, My son, behold now, I am old, I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field, and take me some venison, and make me savory meat, such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, and make me savoury meat, that I may eat, and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock, and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savoury meat for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. My father, peradventure, will feel me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me, and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice, and go fetch me them. And he went, and fetched, and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory meat, such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats about his hands, and upon the smooth of his neck and she gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob and he came unto his father and said my father and he said here am I who art thou my son and Jacob said unto his father I am Esau thy firstborn I have done according as thou badest me arise I pray thee sit and eat of my venison that thy soul may bless me and Isaac said unto his son How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and he felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And it came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. And he also had made savory meat, and brought it unto his father, and said unto his father, Let my father arise, and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac his father said unto him, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly, and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison, and brought it me? And I have eaten of all before thou camest, and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry, and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety, and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy lord, and all his brethren have I given to him for servants, and with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Esau hated Jacob, because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. And these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise. Flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget that which thou hast done to him. Then I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? And Isaac called Jacob, and blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Patamaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger which God gave unto Abraham. And Isaac sent away Jacob. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob, and sent him away to Badam Aram, to take him a wife from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Then went Esau unto Ishmael, and took unto the wives which he had Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebahoth to be his wife. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night, because the sun was set, and he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows, and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold the angels of God ascending and descending on it, and behold The Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid, and said, This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning, and took the stone that he had put for his pillows, and set it up for a pillar, and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. Then Jacob went on his journey, and came into the land of the people of the east. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, and it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, that Jacob went near, and rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and watered the flock of Laban. And Jacob kissed Rachel, and lifted up his voice, and wept. And Jacob lifted up his eyes, and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him four hundred men. And he passed over before them, and bowed himself to the ground seven times, until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him, and embraced him, and fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. And Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Paddan Aram, and pitched his tent before the city, And he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent, and he erected there an altar, and called it El Eloi, Israel. Matthew Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Therefore all things whatsoever ye would, that men should do to you, do you even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter ye in at the strait gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And When they had sung an hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. I shall now read correlative passages from the Christian Science textbook Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures by Mary Baker Eddy. The Scientific Unity which exists between God and man, must be wrought out in life practice, and God's will must be universally done. If men would bring to bear upon the study of the science of mind, half the faith they bestow upon the so-called pains and pleasures of material sense, they would not go on from bad to worse, until disciplined by the prison and the scaffold, but the whole human family would be redeemed through the merits of Christ, through the perception and acceptance of truth. For this glorious result Christian science lights the torch of spiritual understanding. Neither anatomy nor theology has ever described man as created by spirit as God's man. The former explains the men of men or the children of men as created corporeally instead of spiritually and is emerging from the lowest instead of from the highest conception of being. Both anatomy and theology define man as both physical and mental and place mind at the mercy of matter for every function, formation and manifestation. Anatomy takes up man at all points materially. It loses spirit drops the true tone and accepts the discord. Anatomy and theology reject the divine principle which produces harmonious man and deal the one holy the other primarily with matter calling that man which is not the counterpart but the counterfeit of God's man. Then theology tries to explain how to make this man a Christian How from this basis of division and discord to produce the concord and unity of spirit and his likeness. To mortal sense, Christian science seems abstract, but the process is simple and the results are sure if the science is understood. The tree must be good which produces good fruit. Guided by divine truth and not guesswork, The theologist, that is, the student, the Christian and scientific expounder of the divine law, treats disease with more certain results than any other healer on the globe. The Christian scientist should understand and adhere strictly to the rules of divine metaphysics as laid down in this work and rest his demonstration on this sure basis ontology is defined as the science of the necessary constituents and relations of all beings and it underlies all metaphysical practice our system of mind healing rests on the apprehension of the nature and essence of all being on the divine mind and loves essential qualities its pharmacy is moral and its medicine is intellectual and spiritual, though used for physical healing. Yet this most fundamental part of metaphysics is the one most difficult to understand and demonstrate, for to the material thought all is material, till such thought is rectified by spirit. Sickness is neither imaginary nor unreal, that is, to the frightened false sense of the patient. Sickness is more than fancy. It is solid conviction. It is therefore to be dealt with through right apprehension of the truth of being. If Christian healing is abused by mere smatterers in science, it becomes a tedious mischief-maker. Instead of scientifically effecting a cure, it starts a petty crossfire over every cripple and invalid, buffeting them with the superficial and cold assertion nothing ails you. When the science of mind was a fresh revelation to the author, she had to impart while teaching its grand facts the hue of spiritual ideas from her own spiritual condition and she had to do this orally through the meager channel afforded by language and by her manuscript circulated among the students. As former beliefs were gradually expelled from her thought the teaching became clearer until finally the shadow of old errors was no longer cast upon divine science. Divine science explains the abstract statement that there is one mind by the following self-evident proposition. If God or good is real, then evil, the unlikeness of God, is unreal. And evil can only seem to be real by giving reality to the unreal. The children of God have but one mind. How can good lapse into evil when God, the mind of man, never sins? The standard of perfection was originally God and man. Has God taken down His own standard and has man fallen? God is the creator of man and the divine principle of man remaining perfect, the divine idea or reflection man remains perfect. Man is the expression of God's being. To mortal sense, science seems at first obscure, abstract, and dark. But a bright promise crowns its brow. When understood, it is truth's prism and praise. When you look it fairly in the face, you can heal by its means, and it has for you a light above the sun, for God is the light thereof. Its feet are pillars of fire, foundations of truth and love. It brings the baptism of the Holy Ghost, whose flames of truth were prophetically described by John the Baptist as consuming error. Are the protest of Christian science against the notion that there can be material life, substance, or mind, utter falsities and absurdities, as some aver? The words of divine science find their immortality in deeds, for their principle heals the sick and spiritualizes humanity. Consistency is seen in example more than in precept. If our words fail to express our deeds, God will redeem that weakness, and out of the mouth of babes he will perfect praise. The night of materiality is far spent, and with the dawn, truth will waken men spiritually to hear and to speak the new tongue. Sin should become unreal to everyone. It is in itself inconsistent, a divided kingdom its supposed realism has no divine authority and I rejoice in the apprehension of this grand verity. The opponents of divine science must be charitable if they would be Christian. If the letter of Christian science appears inconsistent they should gain the spiritual meaning of Christian science and then the ambiguity will vanish. The charge of inconsistency in Christianly scientific methods of dealing with sin and disease is met by something practical, namely the proof of the utility of these methods and proofs are better than mere verbal arguments or prayers which evince no spiritual power to heal. As for sin and disease, Christian science says in the language of the Master follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Let discord of every name and nature be heard no more, and let the harmonious and true sense of life and being take possession of human consciousness. Uh, The inspiration for this uh, citations came out of miscellaneous writings. Let us have a clearing up of abstractions. Let us come into the presence of him who removeth all iniquities and healeth all our diseases. Let us attach our sense of science to what touches the religious sentiment within man. Let us open our affections to the principle that moves all in harmony, from the falling of a sparrow to the rolling of a world. And um, from the metaphysical Bible dictionary, it gave the definition of Esau, a Hebrew word, hairy, rough, shaggy, son of Isaac and twin brother of Jacob, Genesis twenty five twenty five and Genesis twenty seven thirty eight through forty one. Metaphysically defined as the body or physical vigor. In the immature consciousness, the natural man is moved by desire. Appetite and passion are satisfied regardless of the higher law. Esau sold his birthright for a mess of pottage. The threat of Esau against Jacob's life represents the inward rebellion that we often feel when we change our modes of thought. And from the same metaphysical Bible dictionary, the definition of Jacob, another Hebrew word, heel-catcher, liar in wait, supplanter, leaving behind, bringing to an end recompensing rewarding the younger of the twin sons of isaac and rebecca but the one who obtained the birthright of genesis 25 26 through 34 and genesis 27 11 to end of the book of genesis metaphysical definition Jacob and Esau represent the mental and the animal consciousness within each of us. Esau, the hairy man, typifies the animal, which comes first into expression. Most of the human family let him rule in consciousness. But in the line of human unfoldment, this man of nature, Esau, must be supplanted by a higher type called Jacob, the supplanter, the mentality, or understanding. Jacob also represents an idea of the I am identity, through which the faculties of the mind receive their original inspirations. Jacob had twelve sons, to each of whom he gave an office and each of whom he blessed or inspired with his spiritual wisdom. The Bible narrative about Jacob and Esau has always been read historically and theologians have had trouble trying to excuse Jacob and Rebekah for the apparent duplicity that they perpetrated upon Esau. When read in the light of spiritual understanding or considered as part of the history of the unfoldment of the individual soul. The incident loses its aspect of duplicity and we find that it is a description of the subtle working of the soul in spiritual evolution under the guidance of divine mind. The soul is progressive. We must go forward. The soul must meet and overcome its limitations. Esau was a hunter he finds his pleasure in the realm of animal forces. The cravings of the lower nature are in the ascendancy. Esau gave his birthright to appease his hunger. The red pottage mentioned in the scripture symbology refers to the life substance of the body. The natural man is first in man's evolution. First that which is natural than that which is spiritual," says Paul. We all agree that a strong body is required to express a strong mind, that is the divine plan. The men of the new race will have robust bodies. They will not be weaklings mentally or physically. Healing of the body is fundamental in the outworking of God's perfect man idea. The natural man is not wise. Esau was a hunter and he loved sport better than spirit. He was not seeking development through soul culture, and in order to carry forward the whole man, it was necessary to supplant and suppress him. This is the meaning of the deception by Jacob and Rebekah. The mental must gain the supremacy and the physical must lose prominence. This is what Jacob and Rebekah did. They got Isaac, I am, to acknowledge the mind as first in consciousness. Jacob went to another country, which represents apparent separation. An explanation of Genesis 28, 10-22 is as follows. Jacob, the mental, went toward Haran, high place. The mind enters a higher state of consciousness. At a certain place in consciousness, the understanding is unillumined. One of the stones of the place that Jacob put under his head represents the contact of understanding with material conditions. The latter represents step-by-step realizations of truth. These pure thoughts, angels of God, ascend and descend in consciousness. Jehovah, the I Am, verses 13 and 14, occupies the highest place in consciousness. The spiritualized thoughts of the mind become the seed and bless all the earth, body consciousness. The Lord is constantly in our midst, and we must eventually come into divine consciousness, verse 15. The mind is startled when it discovers God to be an omnipresent principle, verse 16. In verse 17 is represented the realization that the body, house, is the temple of God and that the mind is the gate to heaven, harmony. In the light of understanding, the morning, verse 18, the things that have been our stepping stones become holy, And we anoint them with oil, love, joy, and gladness. Bethel signifies house of God. Luz means separation. That which has seemed separate and apart is brought into unity. Verse 19. Verses 20 to 22 represent the first attempt of the enlightened mind to covenant with God and trust spirit for all things. Keeping the law of giving and receiving is recognized as a step in spiritual development. Taking a wife symbolizes a unification of the I Am with the affections. Jacob was told to go to Padanaram, Aram, table land, to the house of Bethuel, unity with God, and take a wife from the daughters of Laban, white, pure, shining. Genesis 28 2 through 7. This points the way to a unification with the love principle in its higher aspects. Exalted ideas, divine aspirations, and pure motives are here designated as necessary to the union with the soul that the I Am is about to make. In Genesis 33 1 through 15 we read of the Reunion of Jacob and Esau. In the first and second verses, Jacob, the mental, prepares to unite with Esau, physical expression. Mind and body must be joined before the divine law can be fulfilled. Verses 3 and 4. The mind must be unified with the body in all the seven natural faculties. When the union between mind and body takes place, a humility born of surrender of the self comes into expression. Verses 5 through 7. The women and the children here represent the accumulations of the mind. Verses 8 and 9. The mind is willing to share its accumulations, but the body, Esau, cannot receive the gift until it has been uplifted. In verses 10 and 11 we find that after mind and body are reconciled and adjusted, they share alike the gifts of spirit. Verse 12, Jacob the mind should go before and direct the body Esau. Verse 13, the children and the young animals in the flocks and herds symbolize new ideas being established in consciousness verses 14 and 15. There is not necessarily enmity between the mind and body of man but only a difference in states of consciousness. The body becomes an obedient servant of the mind when the two are unified in divine mind. Let us have a few moments of silent prayer. 18 plus.